Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello, folks. I trust my voice finds you safe, healthy, and comfortable on this warm, smoky evening. Now, our local fire continues to burn, but at last check, only four homes were lost, and the fire nears 70% containment. I can only hope that the other fires in the West share the same success. A big thanks to all the brave men and women out there keeping us safe. And speaking of safe, thoughts go out to the Gulf Coast as well. We're thinking about you guys down there. While the world might be burning around us, but for the next hour, we're going to forget about all that. For the fear we seek tonight has no knight in shining armor, no flashing lights to save the day. Now, these stories are personal, guttural, haunting, and most of all true. So please join me in welcoming our first guest to tonight's program. Now, longtime listeners already know my unease with open water. Well, I can tell you that this anonymously submitted story does little to ease those fears. Hi, Derek. I'd like to stay anonymous on this call because honestly, I just, I'm not sure if I even believe myself, but I figured it was worth giving you guys a call and seeing if any of your listeners have had experiences such as this. But it's in Texas, and back in 20, I guess it was 2013, actually, during the summer, nice clear day. I was out fishing with a couple guys, and um, in the Texas Gulf, if anybody's an avid fisherman there, they know to go to the deep well or the deep water oil rigs and fish kind of right around those oil rigs because usually red snapper and other fish are stacked right there. And if you avoid the pipes with all the barnacles and stuff on it, it's usually a pretty good place to go fishing and catch great fish. Anyhow, we were out fishing that day, and it was probably towards the afternoon, we had quite a good catch, good haul coming through. We did have several of our lines getting cut. And I don't know if you're familiar with fishing too much or not, but you know, if you get a snag and you try to pull that snag and get it loose, you know, you'll see that tension on the on the line where it snapped. It'll either be curled up or it'll be thinned out or whatever. But if you, you know, get like a cut, like an actual cut, it's usually a, a really clean just cut through the fishing line uh well we're getting those and we weren't and we know we weren't anywhere near the pilings or any kind of pipe because we can see it on our depth finder 
so we were just kind of curious as to what maybe what was cutting our line and we thought maybe it was like a barracuda or a little shark or something like that down there grabbing our fish as we would hang them and try to pull them up but it happened several times i mean each of us had several instances where our line would just seem to be cut anyhow like i said it was towards the end of the day and we were fishing and i decided to take a break give me some water and just some snacks and stuff like that uh, you definitely want to don't want to be drinking too heavily that far out because we were probably 13 miles from the shore if you drink too much good luck getting back especially with the seas this day the the sea was very very clear very calm those of you who haven't been out that far fishing typically you can see like 50 60 feet down you know you can see activity down there you know i mean you may about be able to spot exact outline of a fish or whatever but you're able to see them and that's how this was it was kind of a normal day and nice and clear we were fishing and like i said i took a break and started just kind of gaze, you know looking at the water and just kind of gazing off a little bit and a sea turtle caught my eye and i thought it was really awesome you know i don't see many sea turtles out when i've been fishing but the sea turtle caught my eye, and it was a big one. It, the shell was probably four foot by five foot, something like that. It was just kind of cruising slow, you know, about 10 feet underneath the surface. So it was kind of coming towards our boat. Then at about, it, it, it came within probably 10 feet from the boat or so, and I was kind of the only one on that side of the boat. I was on the port side, and the fish... I was watching it because I was like, man, this is kind of cool. It's coming up to about that five, six foot depth range. And I was watching it all of a sudden, it just seemed to f- turn over, you know, uh, it just where the where the top of the shell was now facing down and the bottom of the shell was facing up. And, you know, sea turtle, I mean, it had that, that kind of cream color to the shell. Anyway, I was watching it. And I was like, I wonder why it's, it's turning over. And I kid you not, man, all of a sudden it just started to, the only way I can say it is it started to transform, I guess, and it elongated. It seemed like it elongated out. <laughs> this is why I wanted to stay anonymous because it sounds crazy. It just seemed to, it turned into a mermaid. And, you know, I was just, I was like, what? what? The face was looking up at me, and it was, like I said, about six to eight feet below the surface of the water. And you can see the the back half of the tail, or the the uh, the fish part, as you can say. It started up higher than what you know you typically see in movies. Like it was it was like above the belly button area. You know, is where it started, like right below the breasts, I guess you could say. Uh, it started there. It was kind of uh, just that greenish, grayish silver, you know, color that you see. Of course, a little bit lighter on the bottom, like normal fish is, but. Going up, like you couldn't tell if it was male or female. You know, you definitely see, you know, like I said, you see a chest, but you don't know if it's male or female. And then it definitely had arms. Now the arms were kind of odd; they didn't really have shoulders. It kind of was at an angle, I guess, on both sides. Kind of, it went almost like it didn't have. Well, no, it had a neck, but almost. I don't know. It just that transition is weird. But it, it had arms, long arms, and the face, man, the face was just. You know, like I said, it was about 10 foot down. It was clear, so I could see a lot. You know, I could see it pretty vividly. The face was just kind of a, I want to say like a bluish green color. I mean, it was kind of that coloration. And it was just odd. Actually, later on, whenever I was at home, you know, just a couple months later, whenever it was, my wife was watching Harry Potter. And I think it's one of the latter films of Harry Potter. And they had the, the bad wizard, the Voldemort. Voldemort, Voldemort, yeah. Well, anyway, the the bad wizard, 
the face of that wizard looked almost identical to this face. I mean, it was, it stopped me in my tracks whenever I was kind of walking by and glancing over the TV. I was just like, that's it. That's what it is. You had little slits in the nose. You had just this weird reptilian face. And it was very odd, very, very odd. And then the hair was kind of a dark, matted type of hair. It was just very odd, very, very odd. And anyway, it had something in his hand, but I couldn't really see it. But anyway, it, it, this all took from the transformation period to me seeing it. It took about maybe, I don't know, 45 seconds. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I saw, you know, it was just as soon as I really got to see the face and head, it kind of just bent backwards and just went straight down, just went straight down into the depths. So I was sitting there, like I said, I, I didn't believe what I was seeing. I, I didn't know what to think. Just odd, just very odd. But but then I started thinking, you know, again, this was after we got on shore. I didn't say anything to anybody because I didn't want to be looked at, you know, because like I, I didn't know if I believed myself, you know, it could just be the water playing tricks on me, whatever, whatever, whatever. But a couple, you know, a couple days later or whenever it was, I got thinking, I was like, you know, uh, that's probably why our lines were getting cut is what if this mermaid creature was down there and it had something sharp and it was cutting our line and, you know, and, and maybe it just was trying to see what dumb people were, you know, providing them a free meal or something. I don't, I don't know. But like I said, I, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I've wondered many times if I was just, my eyes were playing tricks on me, but I figured I'd share just to see if anybody else has had an experience like that. Anyway, man, uh, that's that's kind of the story. I hope everything's good and look forward to continuing to listen to your podcast. All right, bud. Bye. Whatever that thing is, it could give Jeremy Wade nightmares. But as terrifying as all this sounds, I might have a logical explanation that is almost as amazing as a real-life mermaid. Now, there's a creature called the Blanket Octopus that lives in that area. Now, Google that bad boy or hit up the show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com. Just take a look. Now, imagine this thing floating toward you. For those of you driving, picture an octopus with a thin membrane between most of its tentacles. Now, these things are six feet long. Roughly the same size as our caller's turtle. And they've been observed mimicking other species. They also swim with strange arms off to the side. And get this. They're immune to the sting of the Portuguese man of war. So they often wield that creature's tentacle as a whip to catch prey or defend itself. And as our caller mentioned, he said it did have something in its hand. Now, as amazing as these creatures are, I still know a mermaid is much more exciting. So how about this little possibility to chew on? A naturalist named Stellar and his mysterious sea ape. Now, since I'm friends with a marine biologist, Dr. Shea Conger, I figured, well, let's let her tell us all about it. George Wilhelm Steller is possibly one of history's best-known naturalists. He accompanied Vitus Bering on his second expedition to Kamchatka in 1740. During that time, he officially described several species of plants and animals, including some of the North's most well-known species today, and a lot of other species bear his name. 
And because of this, he's actually credited as one of the first non-native Alaskans to set foot on Alaskan soil. Stella wrote about many animals on this particular journey, but one stands out. A creature he dubbed the sea ape was mysteriously described and sighted on August 10, 1741, and to this day remains the only creature that Stellar described that remains unexplained. Stellar's description goes as thus. On August 10th, we saw a very unusual and unknown sea animal, of which I'm going to give a brief account since I observed it for two whole hours. It was about two Russian L's meaning arm lengths in length, the head was like a dog's with pointed erect ears. From the upper and lower lips on both sides, whiskers hung down. The eyes were large, the body was longish round and thick, tapering gradually towards the tail. The skin seemed thickly covered with hair of a gray color on the back, but reddish white on the belly. In the water, however, the animal appeared equally reddish and cow-colored. The tail was divided into two fins, of which the upper, as in the case of sharks, was twice as large as the lower. Stellar then went on to describe that the animal rose its front end out of the water to spy on the large ship and strangely began to juggle some seaweed. In a classic example of what I would call colonial biology, Stellar then attempted to shoot the animal to study it further. However, how he planned to get it on board to study it is totally beyond me. Well, he missed. So the ship's log didn't record this encounter, which was not entirely surprising, being that Captain Baring cared very little for Stellar's scientific endeavors and found them at best to be an inconvenient nuisance. When Stellar returned to land and subsequently wrote his famous De Bestis Marinus, or The Beast of the Sea, no further mention was made of the mysterious sea ape. However, other similar creatures, such as the Stellar Sea Lion, Sea Otter, and Northern Fur Seal were described by Bering in his writings. But let's go back to that sea ape. Stellar Sea Ape has one more famous sighting, that of Brigadier Miles Richard Smeaton and his family who were sailing near Atka Island in June 1965. Brigadier Smeaton and his family were accomplished sailors known for their daring endeavors across the globe. The creature that they described was described as follows. The creature was about five feet long and had four to five inch reddish yellow fur. It also was described as having a face that they say resembled a Shih Tzu dog. The encounter for them only lasted 10 to 15 seconds, but the animal was seen both by Smeaton and his daughter. After returning home, they ultimately found that Stellar's description of the sea ape matched that of their own sighting. It's conjectured that the sea ape that Stellar described was actually a male northern fur seal. They have long arching whiskers, a short pointed nose overset with large eyes, and a thick bearded reddish mane when they're sexually mature. The body shape also closely resembles that that Stellar described, meaning it has a thick neck and a body tapering to a fine long flippered tail. In reality, we may never know, but the story and mystery of Stellar sea ape remains. No, a big thanks to Shay for putting that together for us. Not to keep bursting bubbles here, but it's widely believed that the sea ape entry in Stellar's journals was simply a jab at his captain. A captain that practically refused to allow the naturalist off the ship. 
save for a 10-hour stint in which he witnessed a majority of these new discoveries. So go ahead and take all that information, process it, and form your own opinion. And caller, uh, do me a favor and hit up the show notes. I've included a few photos of a swimming blanket octopus looking extra mermaidy. How did they compare? Thanks again for sharing. What do you guys say we dry off and venture inland? Or it is that Tony in Indiana has a story that might pique our interest. Hi, Derek. My name is Tony. I'm from Indiana, Indianapolis specifically. I decided to call you. I saw something strange I can't explain, and that's what you asked me to call for, so here we go. It was 2000, 2001. I was driving westbound on Interstate 80 in Wyoming. I'm a truck driver, and I've been a long-haul trucker since 1990. I'm 55 years old, and this is the one and only time I've ever seen anything I can't explain. I was coming to Cheyenne. It was about seven or eight miles west of Cheyenne, and it was a very clear, dark night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, no clouds. And all of a sudden, I saw something coming towards me on the other side of the interstate, above the eastbound side, like right above the eastbound side. I mean, the westbound side. I'm sorry. I was on the eastbound side. Two black things flying above the interstate on the westbound side. But So it wasn't, what, 50 yards away from me on the other side of the interstate. And they were flying slowly, kind of like helicopters would be flying real slow. There was two, one, one behind the other, but there were no lights at all. And so I slowed down because I saw them coming at me. I slowed way down. There was no traffic around me. And I rolled down my window. I slowed down about 45 miles an hour. I rolled down my window to see if I could hear anything. And I hung my head out the window. I could not hear nothing. I looked up at them. By the time they passed right by me going the opposite direction, they couldn't have been 30, 40 yards away from me. And I, I, I couldn't make out what, what they were. They were... I don't know, egg-shaped objects, black. You know, they were blacking out the stars behind them. No lights, no sound, no nothing. Of course, I kept going and I passed them. I, I don't know what they were. If they were flying, and they were, I, I would say they were about 100 yards off the ground, 150 yards off the ground, westbound, right above the westbound side of the interstate, which is... You don't do that if you're flying aircraft. You don't fly right above the interstate, right above traffic, you know, but they were. So I thought that was really strange, not not right. Uh, so anyway, in all my years of trucking, it's been almost 30 years now. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen to this day. And I hope I never seen nothing weird like that again. But anyway, thanks a lot, Derek. Appreciate the podcast, man. Keep it up, dude. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Tony. I can't help but notice the similarities between the craft Tony described and that of the infamous Tic Tac UFO from the 2004 encounter between Navy pilots and an odd egg or oval-shaped craft. A craft that was able to successfully evade two skilled Navy pilots. There are videos and everything in case you've been living under a rock. You can also reference Season 9, Episode 10 of this show for more information on that. But the point is, 
It's worth noting that the two descriptions are at the very least coincidental. And for Tony's sake, I hope someone listening has some sort of input that might help him put his mind at ease. Now if you do or you have another true paranormal or supernatural themed story, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And thanks again, Tony, for the freaky entry. Well, from the Hoosier State, we venture east to the Garden State. Please welcome Kristen from New Jersey to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Kristen. This is a weird story, and I still don't really think about it all that often because it makes me uncomfortable. But it was a fairly large part of my life, so it's weird. And if anybody has answers, I'd love to hear them. I've always heard about places and objects being haunted, and I feel like I knew someone who was haunted. I didn't know that was a thing, actually, but I really, that's the only explanation I have. I knew someone from high school who had a ton of health issues and had a really bad upbringing and was just kind of out of sorts. And we ended up reconnecting years later, probably uh, 15 years after we graduated, honestly, because I felt very sorry for him and uh, his situation and just where he kind of was in life. I was working in Jackson, Mississippi, and had been in an apartment about six, seven months at the time we started talking again. And one day he basically showed up at my doorstep with like a few belongings and said he had nowhere else to go. So I suddenly had a roommate. And we, it was one of those things, I am really bad about setting boundaries. I'm really bad about uh, standing up for myself or telling people no or hurting someone. So uh, this was not a good situation and I was an idiot, but there we are. So I've been in this apartment for months and never had anything happen. And as soon as he moved in, things started happening, small things, things that I could just ignore, um, doors opening and, and shutting when I know I had either shut them or opened them, you know, that sort of thing. Cabinets being open after I know they were shut, noises that I couldn't really explain, but nothing huge, nothing bad, weird dreams, that sort of stuff. So not too far into this, I knew this was not working for me. And being someone who was working like crazy to try and pay my bills anyway, I did not come from money. I struggled really hard to make ends meet. And then now having to basically take care of someone else who, at this point, it was very obvious, did not have any interest in taking care of himself. I didn't want to be at home. I was already stressed out, that sort of thing. So I got a letter and I have always wanted to be a vet. And I got into vet school after thinking for years I would not. And it was a huge moment. It was a huge occasion in my life. And I thought, well, this is one, awesome, this is what I've always wanted, and two, I'll be able to get away from this person. So I'll leave, and then they can do whatever it is they've got to do. When the conversation came up and I explained what was happening, they decided, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go to that same school. I'll move with you. And it became a, a big involved thing. So we got up there, and we had to move into a duplex for a couple months because most housing in campus towns, uh, college towns, if you will, run from like August to the end of the school year. And it was a little earlier to start that school. So I got there early and subleased a, a place and immediately things start happening. Cabinets are open, noises are, are going on, but it seemed to get a little bit stronger. I woke up one time and my individual roommate, person, whatever you want to call him, and his friends that he usually hung out with from down the, a couple apartments down were all standing in the doorway staring at me. 
and asking why I was screaming. And I was like, I am not screaming. And so they assured me that they had all heard me screaming bloody murder and had come right up the stairs and I was fine. The animals were not in any way interested in what was going on. So I just ignored it. It didn't really seem important. And I was stressed out with starting school and, and all of the work that they immediately throw at you. So fast forward, we get out of that sublease. Once the summer's over, we move into another place, which is just across the way, another duplex and the same stuff, which by now I don't even really notice anymore is is continuing. The longer this goes on and the more upset I'm becoming and the worse our relationship is becoming, the more intense it gets. But I didn't notice that at the time. That's only an observation looking back. At this point, the activity in the duplex that we have just moved into is accelerating. There are footsteps running up and down the hallway when I'm downstairs. If I'm upstairs, I can hear something running around downstairs. Stuff slams. I hear voices. If I'm downstairs and I had a elderly diabetic cat who just kind of hung out, she was not adventurous and did not move very fast, and an older dog that would sit on the couch with me. And if we were downstairs, we could literally hear something running above us from one bedroom onto the bed, jump on the bed, back across the floor to the other side of the duplex right above my head, onto the futon in that room and jump and then go back. I mean, it would do that for hours. And I literally thought I was losing my mind until friends started coming over when I started making friends and they would hear it. And something would sound like it was running down the stairs right at us into the hallway and then there would be nothing there. So very few people wanted to come back. I didn't sleep well. It was not a good time. In the middle of midterms, my father passed away, who I was very close to, and everything just hit the fan. I struggled in school. I struggled emotionally. I could not stand this person that I felt stuck with. It, it was, you know, it's just one of those times where everything is bad. So I honestly didn't have the emotional capacity to even try and deal with what was happening. I ignored all of it. And I finally woke up in the middle of the night and felt like my bed move and then footsteps running and like little kid laughter. And I don't know why of all the things that happened for so long, that was the thing that just stopped me. But I knew I had to get out. I knew I was done. And when things went downhill at school and I ended up leaving and, you know, life kind of fell apart for a little while, I couldn't help but feel relieved that I was leaving that house and getting away from that person. And since then, nothing has happened. And looking back, I can't believe that I was not more alarmed or at least interested in what was going on. But I, I honestly just ignored it. That was my coping mechanism was just to pretend nothing was happening. And it was pretty not fun. It was weird. And I don't know if other people have called in. I haven't gotten to listen to every single show. I'm working on it. But I don't know if anybody else has had had the kind of experience where something has followed someone rather than like an object or a house or, or what have you. But I'd be interested to hear if that's something that happens or if I really was going crazy. Anywho, love the podcast. Love what you do. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thanks, Kristen. While this certainly doesn't make it a fact, I have received several entries over the years and heard other accounts and even seen it mentioned on different TV shows that people, like objects and places, can seem to be haunted. Many in the field refer to it as an attachment, and in the cases I've heard of, the common theme seems to be the person is experiencing mental fatigue or even a breakdown of sorts. Their body can sometimes be tapped of energy, and most importantly, the activity seems to follow them wherever they go. So long story short, Kristen, it sounds about right to me. So thank you again for taking the time to share. 
Now before we move on, just a quick reminder that you can pick up some sweet Monsters Among Us merchandise from our web store. Just visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the shop tab. And there you can choose between shirts, hats, bags, mugs, and even vinyl car decals. And here shortly, we're going to be putting together an order for a special Monsters Among Us hoodie for the fall. So keep an eye out for our social media accounts for more information on that. And a huge thank you to all those that are already out there repping the gear. Now then, back to the tales. Our next entry and submitter hails from the Lone Star State. Please welcome Josh to the program. Hey Derek, big fan of the show. My name's Josh, I'm calling from Austin, Texas. Uh, you know, I've never really thought of myself as having had any paranormal experiences, but I was listening to the show and I remembered a series of things that happened earlier this year and thought, hey, you know, this might actually be worth calling in. So I'll start from the beginning. Moved in with my girlfriend about March and she has a small house in North Austin. We were in bed one night, about to drift off to sleep, and we both hear this strange kind of tapping sound. It sounds like maybe in somebody tapping on a window with their index finger. And it's kind of irregular, like tap, 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 something like that. And we can't quite pinpoint where it's coming from. It just happens once. And I think it was sometime in March. It was pretty late. I think we had been listening to records and having some wine and got to bed pretty late and... So we hear this, and we're we're kind of freaked out. We're like, oh, is somebody like... The initial thought was like, maybe some kid is in the neighborhood tapping on people's windows or something. So we kind of, without turning the lights on, we get up and we sneakily kind of look around windows. We don't see anything. And we go back to bed. Now, sometime in the next few weeks, something else happens. Again, we both experience this. And both of these things happen a few times over the course of a few months, but a couple of the times, I'm the only one that experiences it. But this next one, we both heard. So again, we're in bed, it's kind of late, we're drifting off. And outside the bedroom window, there's a there's a wall that faces the backyard and there's a window right near the bed. And right outside the window, we hear what sounds like this low kind of groaning, grunting sound. And it's repetitive. It kind of happens several times at a pretty regular interval. And it sounds kind of like this, this low groaning, like uh, uh, this kind of almost like a very labored breathing sound. And this time again, we're woken up by this, and we're we're kind of freaked out, and we're just laying there in bed and thinking, like, what is this? Neither of one of us want to get up and look out the window, but we surmise that maybe it's a tree. There's a tree near that window, and we think, well, maybe it's creaking or blowing in the wind or. Just you know, brushing up against the house or something, and it's making the sound. So we go back to bed. And over the next few weeks, I try to debunk this sound. So I go outside, I go to the tree, I kind of look around, and there's really nowhere that it could be brushing up against the house. I kind of move the tree to simulate wind, moving the tree around, no sound. I even, when we have a few storms and there's a lot of wind picking up, I go outside and listen and see if I can pick up a sound like that. And the trees do creak a little bit, And there's a couple trees near the fence that kind of brush up against the fence, but the sound it makes is nothing like what we heard. It's more of a high-pitched squeak when the trees rub up against the wood. So again, no idea what that was. Then the next thing that happens 
I think this time I wake up in the middle of the night. My girlfriend is still asleep. And again, I hear the, the window tapping sound. This time I get up, I look around, nothing. Go back to bed. Next thing that happens is the groaning sound again. And again, this time I'm the only one that hears it. I think maybe this time I'm in bed and my girlfriend is in the shower or getting ready or something. And again, this is all happening late at night, probably midnight, one. So we hear the sound again, but this time it's accompanied by this kind of high-pitched sound right afterwards. So instead of just the low groaning, it's this, like this almost wheezing kind of in-between sound. And this time I'm pretty freaked out, but I get up and I'm looking out, look out the window, look and don't see anything. So this is after kind of laying in bed, feeling spooked by this for a few minutes after it ended. And it probably lasted, I think both times, the groaning sound lasted about five to ten seconds. Not too terribly long, but pretty sustained for a short period. So this time I managed to get up and look out the window and check around the house. I don't actually go outside, but I kind of, there's a little sunroom with a lot of windows, and I look out, check out the backyard, don't see anything. Next thing that happens, and this is kind of over the course of a few months here, next thing that happens is we notice my cat is just staring at the bedroom wall. That's all, It's the same wall that's kind of adjacent to the backyard. And we notice that she is, she's just staring at this wall a couple nights in a row. And my girlfriend even notices that she gets up in the middle of the night and the, my cat is still just in the same spot, just staring at this wall, which definitely spooked us. thought that was pretty weird. And then we noticed another neighborhood cat that we often see walking through the backyard, staring at the wall from the outside. And he's just sitting, just staring at this wall. So that kind of freaked us out. But we later found out that there were some geckos living in the wall that that cat on the outside was trying to hunt. We actually saw him catch one one time. So we figured, okay, they're just hearing things in the wall that we can't hear. Hopefully it's not mice or rats, you know. So again, plausible theory of what's going on there. But the other odd thing that happened... There's a little shadow box hanging on that wall. And one night, we're laying down to go to bed. And the second we turn the light out, this little shadow box flies off the wall and lands like halfway across the room. And of course, it was we had just turned the lights out, so we didn't actually see it happen. But immediately, once the light goes out, crash, and the, the little shadow box is halfway across the room, which was pretty strange. So then that comes to the last thing, which was just a few weeks ago. Laying in bed again, about to go to sleep. My girlfriend gets up. She's going to go take a quick shower. She goes in the bathroom, closes the door, and then I hear the tapping sound again. I'm like, oh, shit, here it is again. This time it happens three times, though. So there's tap, tap, tap. And then I hear the water for the shower come on. And then I hear another tap, 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 tap. And then again, tap, 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 tap. And it sounds like it's coming not from the window right above the bed, but from like some other window in the house. And it definitely sounds distinctly like glass being tapped on. And so initially I thought, oh, well, maybe it has something to do with the water because she was just in the shower. But we we later debunked that because there are no pipes running on that side of the house where the sound was coming from. And it started happening before she actually turned the shower on. So again, we're left wondering what that could be. And that's all there is to it. Nothing, uh, you know, nothing definitively paranormal, but definitely kind of odd. And I've racked my brain to really figure out what those sounds could have been. My only theory is that there's some prankster in the neighborhood who's running around tapping on windows and groaning outside of people's windows. But 
I even spent a while listening to different native Texas animal sounds, and the closest thing that sounded like was an alligator, which is pretty unlikely for Austin. So that's uh, that's the story. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Love the podcast. Super fun, super entertaining. Yeah, enjoy. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. Like Josh, I too instantly thought I solved this one because the description sounds nearly identical to waterline issues. But as Josh mentioned, there are no pipes running to that part of the house. Or are there? If remodeling this cabin has taught me anything, it's that you should always expect the unexpected. Meaning that it's possible that water lines were routed to that part of the house and plugged off for potential future use. Well, since it's utterly impossible for me to determine if my little theory is correct, I've instead decided to include a few examples of how spooky something as simple as air in your water lines can actually be. For example, this is not a Yeti. It's simple home plumbing with air in the lines. An issue plumbers call water hammer. Or these slap-happy water lines. Note how it begins to sound like tapping on glass near the end. And then there's this possessed toilet, for good measure. No, I'm not saying that this explains it all. But I am saying that this could be a logical cause for these odd events. No, I'm not a plumbing expert. But I did just replace my main water line this week. We had a rupture of our at least 50-year-old existing water line. So I guess I could say I know a thing or two. So I'm confident in pointing out that an issue like water hammer shouldn't be so inconsistent. You'd think that it would happen frequently enough that Josh and his girlfriend would instantly recognize the source. Now despite the culprit, I can understand how something like that could freak someone out. So you guys decide. Does Josh need an exorcist, or does he need a plumber? But why not discuss Josh's encounter and much more on our social media accounts? We have pages at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit, so join your favorite today. Our amazing team of admins, modmins, or minions, whatever the proper nomenclature is, but Josh, Sarah, John, Tony, Warren, and Addie run a tight ship. It's more like a booze cruise, if I'm honest. So check them out today, and a huge, huge thanks to all those guys for their hard work. Okay, I'm of the belief that an episode of Monsters Among Us is not complete without a cryptid sighting of some sort. So to fill that void, we welcome Nathan from Washington to the program. Hey Derek, I'm Nate from Washington State. I love the show, so I thought I'd send in a couple stories for you to share on the podcast. My first story takes place back when I was in middle school, maybe 2004, 2005. 
it was summertime, so I had an ample time to watch TV or play with friends. Um, and during that summer, I had watched a Bigfoot documentary that really interested me. I can't remember which documentary it was, though. Anyways, after watching it, I had brought the subject of Bigfoot up to my mom and stepdad. My stepdad had told me that he had an experience with Bigfoot up in northeast Washington in the Colville area, specifically the Spruce Canyon area. He had worked up there years ago, and one weekend he was fishing on a secluded lake, and it started getting dark, and all of a sudden an ape-like womanish scream started happening all around him, and then rocks started to be thrown at him. Needless to say, he was spooked. He took his boat back to the dock, left his boat and all his fishing gear, and drove off, and he went and picked it up a couple days later. So being the middle school-aged boy that I was, I wanted to go up there too and check it out. He's like, sure, I'll take you up there uh, for a camping trip. So I brought my buddy from school, my stepsister, my dad's friend, and actually three of my nephews. We drive up there, we set up camp, uh, we fish and play, and on the second night around 10 p.m., we were sitting by the fire, and all of a sudden that ape-like woman-sounding scream started all around our camp. Uh, It went on for about 30 seconds, then it transitioned into wood knocks one after another one wood knock and then a wood knock would happen and then another wood knock would happen and that happened for about 30 seconds or so um, and then it ended nothing else happened during that trip uh, but it was pretty crazy a couple explanations that people have given me as to what i heard um, one was coyotes uh, elk bugling or a cougar screaming none of those could account for this the wood knocks that i heard right after and I know what coyotes and elk bugling and cougar screaming sounds like. And it didn't sound anything like that. It was apish in the way it sounded. And could it be somebody playing a trick or a prank on us? I mean, possibly. But the place we were at was incredibly secluded. I mean, there's no running water. There's no electricity. You have to take a small winding DNR road for about five miles even to get up there. It takes a long time. There's no showers. There's nothing like that. And at 10, 10 o'clock p.m., it just didn't make any sense for somebody to be playing a prank on us up there. Um, obviously, I can't rule it out 100%, but it seems like a big waste of time <laughs> for somebody to do that. But anyway, that's my story. Uh, thanks for the podcast. Thank you, Nathan. I'll tell you what. Another possibility, in addition to hoaxers, would be other Bigfoot hunters. I recently heard a story about two groups of Bigfooters yelling back and forth to one another, thinking that the other group was a clan of wood apes. If the area is known for Sasquatch reports, perhaps a group is whooping and wood-knocking in hopes of responses. But then again, if there's an abundance of reports from the area, maybe that suggests something does exist in those woods. So thanks again, Nathan, for sharing that encounter. Now before we dive into our final call, don't forget you can get bonus content over at patreon.com. There are three levels, nearly 40 bonus episodes, and counting, and new material added each month. So visit patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. And now for that final call of our evening. Now this one, like our opener comes to us anonymously, but this one from the state of Colorado. Yeah, this is just anonymous. We'll just say it's all of Colorado. And just listening to your podcast the other day, it was about the lady that, was North Carolina was below that UFO. Oh, this is kind of crazy. Um, 
back in '96. This is this is this is kind of a trip. Um, when that triangle is being seen, I mean, this is consequences that happen that she'll understand and other people that have seen it understand. Um, I was chilling in the backyard in Southern Colorado. Um, it's just hard to say. On the, on the trampoline with this girl, you know, I was just trying to get to know her, trying to get with her, honestly. I really liked her. And uh, she goes, uh, what the hell is that? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I look up and there's this <laughs> triangle thing moving towards us and I'm like oh really you know in my mind I'm like okay what is that as it came to us it took up the whole sky I mean in any way we looked left to right it was that huge um there was wind the wind stopped and we looked and it was bronze color and you could see definition and we stood and we looked at it you know what I mean underneath and we're laying on trap flame we're in shock and she's and she says, "No one's going to believe us." I'm like, "Yeah, this is this is this is kind of crazy." I, you know, just we're teenagers. Um, as it flew by, about 100, 200 yards, the wind picked up. So basically, it had its own atmosphere, whatever you want to call. But it was going towards Cheyenne Mountain, towards Peterson Air Force Base. Um, after that, it was kind of awkward, and and she might understand anybody else might understand that's come within this. There's certain things that, like, did me and her, like, we don't really talk anymore after this. She kind of got freaked out and said some weird stuff was happening. Um, I normally don't share those with this, but people understand if this is really hard. I have problems ever since that day being around electronics and even at my job now. Um, computers will freeze up on me. Cell phones will freeze up on me until I get used to you being around them. It, it, it's creepy. Um and just at work, a multi-million dollar machine shut down and everybody looked at me like, what the hell is going on? It rebooted, the computer rebooted, which is like a $4,000 computer. All the scanners rebooted, the whole section rebooted. I mean, it's just, it's it's a trip. I don't know if something happened that night. I, I really don't know. And it really freaks me out and that's all I could do it. And it it's really kind of, awkward i just got used to it but when i heard her story i just and then coming that close sometimes i guess certain things happen and that we can't explain and i just want to share that i mean if anybody else has the same issue i mean um hopefully this helps out but with me it's i can't be around in electronics for a minute and then i gotta get used to it so um there you go i mean Hopefully that helps answer a lot of people viewers' questions. It still really creeps me out. I've only told a couple people. My foolish that I haven't even talked to her. She won't even acknowledge me or even say anything. But thank you, and hopefully this helps you out and keep up the good work there. Thank you, caller. I first want to acknowledge the detail our caller mentioned about the craft creating its own atmosphere. I've heard rumors over the years that our government has discovered likely through reverse engineering of crashed UFOs, a new method of propulsion. Essentially, it's a device that creates its own small gravitational pull that then allows a craft in close proximity to literally fall forward continuously. Essentially, if that gravitational force stays in front of you, it can pull you forward or something like that. So when our caller mentioned the wind stopping, my ears certainly perked up. But, if I'm honest, 
The part that held more of my interest was the mention of electric interference. Now, I've hinted about this phenomenon for a couple years now, but this time I finally decided to dive in a bit and get to the bottom of what this actually is. Now, apparently these folks are called electric people, or more popular, sliders. They're said to have a type of allergy to electricity that causes devices and electronics and even light bulbs to malfunction or even crap out altogether. The following clip from the AP interviews one of these sliders and also speaks to Hillary Evans. In this case, Hillary is a man's name. Evans is apparently one of the leading researchers on the sliders phenomenon. The woman you're about to hear from is named Debbie Wolf. I, I can give out electricity to people. I can um, blow light bulbs, change volumes, um, really just affect anything that's around me that's electrical. And when it happens is when I'm stressed about something, not, you know, really manically stressed, just when I'm really mulching over something, really chewing something over in my head and, and then it happens, or if I'm, you know, sexually aroused, um, or just really, really excited about something. It's quite obvious from the letters I get that these people are perfectly healthy, normal people. It's just they've got some kind of ability. It's like the ability that Mozart had to compose music. You know, just a gift they've got. It may not be a gift they would like to have. A lot of the gifts we have, we would rather not have. But it's something that isn't going to hurt people. It's not going to do you any harm. It's not going to do anybody else any harm. And you may even find that it's actually entertaining and you may even be able to use it for some, you know, positive purpose. Now, I know this does little to help our caller solve his mystery. But at the very least, he, I, and hopefully you can now walk away with some new information. Thanks again, caller, for sharing. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the music you hear in this episode was provided by Co.AG Music and White Bat Media. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Now, I played this call on last week's show, and this is a shortened version of that entry. Hi, Derek. My name's Courtney. I'm sharing one of the episodes with my mom the other night about the mirrored mess, and she reminded me of a story my um, grandmother had told when I was younger. So I'm not sure, like, date, time, that kind of stuff, but it was summer, 
and it was in South Dakota. And I, I don't think it was on I-90. I think it was on like a kind of a backwards two-lane highway driving from Winter, South Dakota, which is in the middle of the state, headed towards like the Black Hills area, which is in the southwestern corner of the state. And it was just my grandma and my grandpa, and they're driving. My grandpa's actually driving behind the wheel. My grandma's the passenger. And as they're driving, this car all of a sudden appears behind them, goes around them, and then probably stops maybe 100, 200 yards in front of them in the middle of the road. And my grandma was like, what the heck? And my grandpa kind of got upset about it. And as they got closer, my grandpa, of course, was slowing down because he didn't know what was going on. And all three doors opened up at the same time. So the driver's side, passenger side front, and then passenger side back all opened at the exact same time. And three men in black all stepped out at the exact same time. My grandma never mentioned anything about their movements being slow, but she said they were like identical. They all got out at the same time, shut their doors at the same time, and they all had black hats and like black suits, black shoes. And my grandma had told my grandpa just to speed up. She said, don't slow down, don't stop, just speed up and go around them as safely and quickly as possible. And she said, just don't even look at them, Paul. Just don't even look. We don't even see them, you know, except to go around them and just keep going. She was kind of freaked out, she said, in the moment, and they weren't quite sure really what was going on. Later telling us the story, she thought maybe they were going to rob them or something, you know, because they were on this backwards road that wasn't really busy. And it was daytime, though. It wasn't like night or anything. It was the middle of the day. So they go around them and they keep going. And my grandma's like telling my grandpa, Paul, don't look back, you know, keep driving, keep driving, keep driving. And my grandma said she happened to look in the outside mirror. And she noticed, too, that they all had black sunglasses on. And that was it. And it has been years since I've heard that story. I'm 40 now, and my grandma would tell that story when I was probably, you know, 8 to 12, I would say, because I remember hearing it more than once. I will ask my mom if she ever remembers if my grandma said that they were missing time or if the men that got out of the car were moving slow. But my grandma recounted the story. She never mentioned either one of those. But um, she always called them the men in black. And this was before I had even heard the term, I think, or even before men in black term was coined. So anyways, love the show. Keep it up. Hope all is well. Thanks. Then, a few days after that episode aired, I received the following email from Chris. I've always had quite a bit of fascination with all things mysterious and the supernatural since I was a very young age. I suppose growing up on an Indian reservation and hearing old stories related to ghosts and such played a role. Also, it seemed I heard a lot about UFOs and Bigfoot at that early age which led me to read extensively about them growing up. Consequently, I knew quite a bit of the men in black by the time I was a teenager in the late 1980s. About 14 years ago, I was visiting my paternal grandma near McLaughlin, South Dakota. One evening, having dinner, I think I had just watched an old movie on VHS that got me thinking about UFOs. So as a conversation piece, I asked her if UFOs were ever seen in the country where she lived. After a long pause, she said, no, not really, but she did see the men in black once. 
Now this got my attention, because this awesome lady was so nice and proper, and it seemed so out of the ordinary for her to speak of something like this. And needless to say, I was captivated. Best I could tell, her story had to have taken place somewhere between the 70s or 80s. My grandparents' house was located way out in the country. Five ways from nowhere, I like to say. Freaking rattlesnakes central, as there seems to be no other place with as many rattlers during the early summer and early fall. Anyway, they were on their way home, probably coming from Bismarck or Pierre, as that would have been the only time they would have been on the road late at night. They were nearing home, she said. Then, just a few miles down the road, she indicated to me that they came up on a car that appeared to be broken down with the hood up, facing them as they came toward it. As they came closer and slowed down, they noticed the most peculiar thing. There were three men, all leaning in under the hood and looking at the engine. As they rolled up on these men, all three stood up and rose at the same time. And that's when my grandma mentioned this. She said they all turned to face their car at the same time, like at the exact same time. An eerie slow turn, she said. And it even got more spooky as they all took one step, one direction sideways. Here's what I personally thought was very strange. She said they all stood in line taking up half of the road, and they stuck their thumbs out like a hitchhiker would, all slow and robotic-like. These strange gentlemen my grandma associated with the men in black, as I would have until I caught your Mirrored Men podcast. She said they were all wearing similar dated suits. Uh, she wasn't specific, but she mentioned it was like a previous style or something. And she recalled that they wore fedora hats and were expressionless. I think my grandma told my grandpa to just go and they went past them. My grandma made no mention of time loss or anything. She just mentioned how creepy it all was. And after she told me, she got the chills and shook her head and changed the subject. Thanks for your podcast, Derek. And thanks to the folks for submitting the stories as well. When someone else's story is so similar yet so far away, it brings us closer to one another through validation, if only briefly. Well, these stories were so similar that I thought maybe it was a double submission. But once it all clicked, the uncanny coincidence was impossible to miss. And not only are the two stories eerily similar in the sequence of events, but they both took place in the state of South Dakota. And they both took place in or around the late 70s to mid 80s. So your homework, boys and girls, is to solve this little mystery by this time next week. Something tells me someone out there has some information they're sitting on. So thank you again, Chris, for reaching out, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. 
It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.